Hey, Pillow Talk Pod Squad. It's your girl, Simone, and you're now tuned in to episode 303 of season three of Bonnets and Durags, a Pillow Talk podcast. If you tuned into the last episode or other previous episodes, welcome back and thank you for listening. Shout out to my friends, Annalise and Bianca, for being on that last episode. It was by far one of my favorite episodes to date. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. Bonnets and Durags, a Pillow Talk podcast, was made for us to have open and intimate conversations with millennials of color. From relationships and dating to career and counseling, we cover the most important topics affecting us in our everyday lives. I started this thing up on January 24th, 2017, and I've had so many great conversations with even greater people. Speaking of great people, it is an honor to have one of the most powerful influences in the entertainment industry, the man himself, Devon Franklin, sitting across from me right now. For those of you who aren't familiar with him or his work, he is a Hollywood producer who has worked on films like The Pursuit of Happiness and Jumping the Broom, a best-selling author, a motivational faith-based speaker, and husband to one of my favorite actresses of all time, Megan Good. It is my pleasure to introduce to you, Devon Franklin. Hey, welcome back to the Binds and Durags podcast. We have a very special guest with us here today, Devon Franklin. I am so happy <laughs> to have you on the show today. Um, I'm really honored, and I can't tell you, thank you enough for having me. I'm, <gasps> I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. This is, this is oh, my goodness. I'm just, like, speechless, you know? <laughs> but I, I can't wait to jump into, um, you know, more about you and the book that you have coming up, The Truth About Men. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, I wanted to say, I never want my guests to feel like I'm telling their stories for them. So yeah. do you mind, you know, telling us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what sure. you've got going on and where you're from and how you got started? Yes, I am from uh, Oakland, California. And uh, I would say it might be the home of the do-rag. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a controversial know, statement. <laughs> I know, I know. That's that's why I prefaced it before I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I that's where I learned about wearing do-rags and whatnot. But um, I grew up in Oakland. Um, you know, I'm the middle child of three boys. My father died when uh, I was nine years old, and he died of a heart attack when he was 36. Mm-hmm. And um, when he was alive, he struggled with alcoholism. And so my, me and my brothers, we were raised by a single mom, and we were raised not only just by her, but my grandmother and my grandmother's seven sisters. So it really did take a village to, to raise us. And, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be in entertainment or play football. Mm. Those are the only two things I wanted to do. And uh, what was interesting is that when I was a teenager, I really started, well, actually, the, the year my father died, I started getting involved in the church. And a couple years after that, got baptized and got saved. And, um, you know, when I was a teenager, my 15 years old, I gave my first sermon. And everybody said, go into ministry. And I was like, I'm not going to ministry. I'm going to either play football or I'm going to entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so the first uh, freshman year, I went to go uh, try out for the football team. And first scrimmage. Uh, I'll never forget, I was uh, doing the play. I was wanted to be a running back, and they designed the play for me. And I'm running through the hole. And on the defense was our all-star, James McKinney. And I run through the hole, and James literally hits me so hard, he knocks me out. <laughs> True story. And I look up in the middle of the day, I'm seeing stars. And so I say, okay, God, you don't want me to go to <laughs> play football. This isn't my calling, yeah, That's right. Okay, Hollywood, <laughs> here we come. Um, and so at uh, 18 years old, 
I, I went to University of Southern California. I majored in business. I minored in film. I was going to do a film major, but I got rejected mm. as a freshman from the uh, cinema television program, the film program at USC. And so that actually gave me some more time during freshman year to pursue an internship. Mm -hmm. And I went in and I got an internship working for the management company that managed Will Smith and Jada and uh, Babyface and Puffy and J-Lo. And I did that internship wow. for two years. And then when I um, became a junior, Will Smith started his own production company. I interned there my junior and senior year. And then when I graduated, I became an assistant at his company. I did that for a couple years. And while this was happening, you know, people were always still talking to me about ministry and all that. And I was like, I don't have anything to do with ministry. Like, <laughs> I love the Lord, but I'm not trying to do that professionally. Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, I ended up quitting working for Will after about two years. And I got a job as a, as a junior executive for Tracy Edmonds. Left there, got a job as a, a junior executive at MGM. I did. I worked on Be Cool and Beauty Shop. MGM got sold to Sony. My first film at Sony Pictures was The Pursuit of Happiness. I did Seven Pounds. I worked on, yeah, it was great, right? Yes. Every time I watch it, I cry. Yeah, seven Pounds, uh, Hancock, Annie, Heaven is for Real, Jumping the Broom, Sparkle. I did all, I was uh, executive on, on all these films. And along the way, you know, it was like always believing and still having faith, but not really seeing how the two were going to merge. And when I worked on Pursuit of Happiness, that was the first movie where I said, oh, wait a minute, this movie is so inspirational. We can take this message to the church. And so I did a whole marketing campaign that, help take the message of pursuit of happiness to churches all across the country. And it was very mm. successful. And that's when I began to see, oh, God, I don't have to choose between my interests. I can just be who I am and merge them. And that really laid a strong foundation for my success. While I was at Sony, I wrote Produced by Faith, my first book. And then after uh, Heaven is for Real came out in 2014, I quit. Um, the movie was so successful, I said, I've got to start my own company now. And I convinced the chairman of Sony to give me a deal to fund my company. And she did. And the first movie I made was Miracles from Heaven with Queen Latifah and um, Jennifer Garner. And the second movie I made was the animated film The Star with Oprah and Tyler Perry. And the third movie I made, um, now have a deal at 20th Century Fox, but I have a new movie coming out called Breakthrough. It's a true story of a mother who prays her son back to life. That stars Chrissy Metz from This Is Us and Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage, and Dennis Haysbert from, uh, he's a legend, but he also is from the Allstate commercials, which people know him from now. But that film is going to be in theaters all around the country. So I share all that, you know, kind of in a, in a very reduced fashion, just to give an insight that you can be who you are called to be. And you, I think sometimes we think we have to choose between what we want to do and what we need to do. And I believe that there, it's possible to do both when we're true to ourselves. Right. Absolutely. You know, in a previous interview uh, that I listened to, you had mentioned, you know, being of service to the gatekeepers in the company yes. and treating everyone well, well, no matter who they are. Um, so what's some advice that you can give to young creatives who are looking to break into the industry? Yes. I mean, listen, it, it's a, it's an apprenticeship business. You learn by doing. And I have seen so many, you know, young uh, people, so many millennials um, not make it, not because they don't have the talent, but they don't have the patience. Mm. Uh, at 18 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to ultimately have my own company. At 22, when I graduated, I wanted to start the company, but I didn't have anybody that would fund it. I didn't get my company funded until I was 36 years old, wow. 18 years after I started, wow. 18 years. So it's really important to pay your dues, put in the time. You have to carry a crown before you wear one. you got to serve your way to the top because once you get to wherever you're going, Service doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. The success of your career will be directly related to how well you service whoever you work for 
or the consumer that is on the other side of the product that you're working on. So I would, my advice is, uh, you know, be passionate, uh, be true to who you are, yet commit to the process and do not quit until it takes you where you want to be. Oh, absolutely. I hope the millennials are listening right now. <laughs> Rewind and replay that segment. Because um, as a millennial myself, I know that there's this idea of like this instant gratification. I mean, yeah. I'm only 25, but I'm thinking like, oh, I need to be doing this. Wow. I need to be here. And, yeah. you know, and I, I think that I'm, you know, on a steady pace. But, you know, as a young person, I'm thinking I'm looking at everyone on social media and seeing how they're attaining these things and where they're at in life. So we constantly are comparing oh, yeah. ourselves. And, and, and the know. danger of social media mm -hmm. you know I mean, yes. listen we all use it so it's cool i'm not i'm not knocking it holistically but we have to manage social media so so we have to manage social media or it will manage us mm -hmm. and so often what we want how we feel about ourselves is dictated by what you just said mm -hmm. we're scrolling on instagram we see someone else's post and we're like well why didn't that happen to me mm -hmm. well why didn't i get that and then we start to say well what am i doing wrong yeah. and one has nothing to do with the other. <laughs> so it's really important to stay focused on where we want to go, allow the process to take us there, and to do our best to tune out the noise, even if that includes the social media noise. Oh, absolutely. And you talk about that in your book. I love that. Yep. So let's jump right into um, the inspiration behind your new book, The Truth About Men. So you said that it's a user's manual for both men and women, whether single or married, to help them become equipped with the necessary knowledge, insights, and tools to transform their lives. So I already know that there's some men who are listening to this episode right now, probably sucking their teeth or rolling their eyes like, oh, Lord, <laughs> what is he going to say? He's going to expose us. But I know that you're that you didn't intend to write this book to throw them in the doghouse. But instead, no, no. you know, you're trying to challenge them and, ex and trying to challenge them to accept and master and discipline this dog that you speak of that lives within yeah. them. So, um, you know, you have said that this dog can be selfish, impulsive, manipulative. Uh, lust-filled, all of the above. But can you talk a little bit about this dog persona that you mentioned in the book, where yeah. it stems from, and without spilling all of the tea, yeah. uh, you know, maybe tell us how this work can be, what work can be done to resolve it. Sure, yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to write this book because I think that it's time for us to, you know, come to a moment of truth in, in our culture. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that truth is that, you know, we as men, you know, can be better and can do better. And uh, it starts with us looking in the mirror and saying, what kind of man do you want to be? And uh, I think that too often in our culture, we have celebrated the degradation of, of women, especially black women. Mm -hmm. I think we have celebrated the devaluing of women. And what happens is when that's celebrated in the culture, it finds its way into interpersonal relationships. And you have young men growing up who don't necessarily have the model for what it means to be a man. So as a result, they end up perpetuating this type of behavior that's detrimental to themselves, their communities, and their families. So I wanted to write this book to say, listen, I'm not pointing the finger, mm -hmm. right? I'm saying, hey, I struggle too, and I'm honest about those struggles. I'm transparent about those struggles. But it's time for us to come to a moment of truth. Mm -hmm. We, we got to change. We got to change. And change is hard, but it's good. Why? Because it creates more peace and gives us really what we're searching for, which is true validation and, and true power, which comes from within. And so writing this book, you know, it's not about vilifying men. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not male bashing. I'm a man. All right. So I'm not <laughs> I am not here to put us down. Uh, men are not dogs, but we can act like one. Mm -hmm. And that's what I talk about in the book. I tell I say that in the book, every man struggles. And it's really important that this book is not just a book for men. It's also for women, because a lot of women do not understand men. And if you don't understand men, it's going to be very hard to successfully navigate your relationships with men. So my thesis and my, my idea in the book is that every man shares the same struggle and has the same secret. And that secret is lust. 
and I call lust the dog. I use the dog as a metaphor, as an analogy to describe how lust operates in a man. It is selfish, as you mentioned in your question. It's selfish. It wants what it wants when it wants it, however it wants it. Mm -hmm. And many times when we as men uh, start hearing that dog bark, we start feeling those impulses, those urges. It could be for sex, money, power, greed. Uh, it's not always just about women, but a lot of times it is It is about women. When that dog starts to quote unquote bark, many, when, many men don't know what to do about it mm -hmm. other than to feed it. And what I have learned is that the one you feed is the one that's going to grow. Mm -hmm. And in a man, even though there's lust called the dog, there's also the master, which is love. Every man struggles between these two things, love and lust, the master and the dog. Love is the love of self, love of God, love of the woman in, in a man's life, love of family, love of community. If we want to be successful as men, we have to learn to master the dog. Mm -hmm. We have to put the dog in check. We have to put lust in check. We have to put selflessness in place of selfishness mm -hmm. because love is sacrificial. What does that look like? It means I love my girlfriend so much or I love my wife so much that even though I may have lustful thoughts or a lustful desire for other women, I will not do it. Why? Because I love them too much to hurt them. Mm -hmm. This is what mastering the dog begins to look like. And also, giving us another specific uh, example you've related to relationships when a man decides he wants to be a master now a master is is all powerful so as men we have the ability to have the power that comes from within mastery takes a lifetime masters you know it's like playing golf you don't just learn it overnight it's something you work on every day i work on it every day i have not mastered the dog i work on mastering the dog every day but one of the things that's really clear and key to being a master is communicating clear intentions. And too often in our in our dating lives, we as men do not communicate what we clearly intend with the women that we're dating. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we intentionally will keep a woman in a gray area because there's certain things we may want from that woman that we don't want her to know because if we tell her the truth, she's gonna stop dealing with us mm -hmm. because right. our intention isn't right. right. So in the book, I, I, I challenge any man reading the book. I say, listen, let's come to a time where we practice honesty. Mm -hmm. If you're not serious, let her know. If right. you don't have good intentions, let her know. If you have good intentions, let her know. Right. But no longer in dating should we hide, should we manipulate, should we play. Right. Because when we do that, on the other side, the receiving end, is not a toy. It's a person, a woman, a heart that we may play around and move on to the next situation. Whoever we inflict pain on, they may deal with that for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write this book to say, we can do it, man, we can become better. Here's how we do it. And I also talk about myself. I say, hey, listen, I, I, I turn the mirror on me. I'm, I'm not pointing the finger, I'm saying, hey, I do too. I have a dog in me too. I have a master in me as well. I work on this every day. You know, I'm married to Megan Good, one of the most beautiful women in the world. It doesn't stop me from having a dog. Mm -hmm. And I have to choose, do I want to become what is in me? Meaning, do I want to become that lower self? Or do I want to work on becoming the higher self, that higher man? that master in me. And this is what the book's about. It deals with the struggle between the two, but it points towards a positive, what I believe, empowering solution for how to deal with this. Right. So in what ways did you tame your inner dog? Mm. In many ways, I tame my inner dog by a lot of the information that I put in the book. Uh, and one of it is urge management. Mm. So I believe the quality of our life is directly related to the urges that we manage. 
And a lot of times for me, you know, I, it's like I talk about this in the book, like when I got married, before I got married, I thought, okay, cool. I know I have this dog in me. I know I have this lust in me. But when I get married, it's going to go away. You know, I meet the love of my life, the woman of my dreams. We get married. I say I do. I think it's good. We, hey, the dog's asleep. It's gone away. <laughs> Lo and behold, a couple months in, the dog wakes up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is this? How is this possible? I, I love my wife. I'm faithful. I don't want to cheat. But why do I have these thoughts? Why do I have these feelings? So one of the ways I had to learn to master that dog was to be honest about what I was feeling and stop judging myself for feeling it. So often, many men that I know have these feelings and these thoughts that they don't want to have. It's not like, hey, yeah, I'm, I really want to think this way. Or I want to think negative. Or I want this thing to run me. No, they don't want to have it. So I had to say, okay, let me stop judging myself for having the thought. And let me acknowledge that it's there. Let me accept that it's there, but then let me figure out what to do about it. One of the biggest things to do about it was like, okay, I got to learn how to manage these urges. I got to learn to accept that they're there. And one of the tips I put in there is that a lot of times when you have an urge that is an unhealthy urge, an urge that goes against everything you want to be and do, part of the the strategy is sometimes just take a 10 count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take a 10 count, yeah. you know. Take a moment to breathe. Take a minute. Because a lot of times when you do that, take that moment to breathe and clear your thoughts. You allow it to pass. Yeah. Versus every time a thought comes on you or an urge comes on you, you feel like you got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. There are many times you're hungry. Just because you're hungry doesn't mean you eat. Sometimes you say, you know what? I'm in a meeting. I can't eat right now. Or I just ate. I'm actually full, but my brain's trying to tell me I'm hungry. I know I'm not hungry. So let me navigate the hunger pain so I can get to a place where I can manage it. The, manage it. So these are some of the things that I've done personally mm-hmm. that have helped me uh, master the dog. Do you think that women can be dogs? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I was very mindful of in writing this book was I did not, as a man, want to write a book about what women got to do better. Mm. We have that. Listen, every day there's information. So much stuff out there of (laughs) men telling women what they got to do better. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to do it. I said, no, as men, we got here's what men got to do better. Here's what we have to do. We can do this work. And if we do it, we can become the men we were created to be. And women, here's the information you need to know. However, in the book, I, I write a, a specific piece of information in this book where I tell men that women have a dog too. And a lot of times that dog in the woman wants that dog in the man. And be careful of that. Mm. Be careful of it. Because if you're dealing with the woman that brings the worst out of you, that, that fosters the lust in you in an unhealthy way, that is someone that you need to be cautious of, not someone you need to run to. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I did want to go in and ask you a question. Yeah, so please. What is your advice for men and women who are at odds with one another? Yeah. And I know you're human, so I'm sure you get into arguments with your wife. <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> no, you know, y'all know I'm kidding. Right. It would be unrealistic, you know? Yes, it would. Um, so what in, in what ways do you remedy those issues at hand? You know, one of the ways that uh, we remedy the issues at hand are, uh, first of all, um, just being honest, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote The Truth About Men is is I'm I'm practicing truth. And that is hard. Ooh, it yeah. is hard because think about, you know, when you're in a relationship, how much stuff you don't say and what you really feel, but you never communicated. So in marriage, this is the person you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Yeah. So Megan and I really work on communicating and telling the truth. And uh, sometimes you know, we'll have a conversation and I'll say something the wrong way or she'll say something the wrong way. And, and because we both love each other and we both want the best for each other, 
we, a lot of the times, the moment we say something, the moment it comes out of our mouth, the way it came out, we're like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have said it that way. I know mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done that. Um, the other thing that we do is we try not to go to bed angry. You know, we try to resolve whatever issue. And we also try to give each other room to grow. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important in a relationship and in, and in a healthy marriage. Give them room to grow. You know, we're all changing. Every day we're changing in some way. And sometimes we get stuck on who we want somebody to be instead of accepting them for who they are. Mm, yes. And so we practice a lot of acceptance. Yeah. Okay, this is who you are. Okay, let me work on accepting that in its fullness. Let me not hold on to a version of who I want you to be or who I thought you were but appreciate who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, that takes practice. And also we try not to ever argue from a place of bitterness, mm -hmm. um, or we try not to ever argue out of a place of love. Even when we are upset about something with one another, we still keep love in the conversation. So what that means is we don't say things that are going to intentionally hurt, that are going to not uh, convey how much we love one another, even when we're angry, we still don't go to a place where we cut the other person down, where we say things that we know are going to hurt them intentionally because we're mad in a moment and we try to justify it. We don't do that. We don't do that because, that, you know, that saying words, you know, sticks and stones may break mm -hmm. my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's, that's a it's lie. True. No, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Words hurt. <laughs> Let somebody you love say something <laughs> about you or to you. I guarantee you it, it may hurt worse than a knife. Okay. Somebody that you You're love. Right. Yeah. somebody that you trust, somebody you thought was on your team, mm -hmm. and then they say something to you, I'm telling you, you'll see that words have a tremendous amount of power, yeah. especially in a relationship. Yeah. The person we're with can build us up, they can break us down. And so in marriage, I try to be mindful of that. She tries to be mindful of it. We don't, we're not always successful, but we work on it when yeah. we miss the mark. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, my boyfriend always says words th words mean things, Simone. So be mindful of they your words, do. and and he's definitely had. He, it's allowed me to be more mindful of how I speak to him, and yeah. and you know the the direction of the conversation. So Amen. I definitely feel you on that. Um, it's so powerful. Um, so I did want to jump back yeah, into jump a back. moment of time. So just uh, bear with me. Yeah. So you're on stage with your wife. And you're doing a press tour for your joint book, The Weight, which the I wait. love. The Weight, thank you. <laughs> a heckler gets on the microphone and tries to advise Megan to cover up, Yeah. Um, you know, if she's going to be a woman of God. But she you tried. quickly defended your wife um, and her wholesomeness and her Christianity. So take me back to that moment. What was going through your mind when you heard that? Like, <laughs> Because that was such a viral moment for us in social media. We yeah. all were looking at our phones like, yes, we love Devon. <laughs> we need a man like Devon. Uh, so, yeah, so take us oh, back to that. Man, like, uh, that's hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was just in that moment, um, you know, you just, it's almost like, you spring into action. Mm -hmm. uh, man, you know, when it comes to protecting your family and protecting your wife, it just was instinctive. Uh, I didn't I didn't think much about it. I just went into action. Hey, my wife is being attacked. I, I'm not going to let that happen. And, you know, I was also trying to do it in a way that was, you know, loving to the person. It's like, hey, no, 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 no. She is an individual. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, she's going to stand before God. And at the end of the day, she can wear whatever she chooses to wear. Right. That is her right. Okay. And you can't come in and start telling her what she can and cannot do. She can wear what she. So my whole thing was to protect, 
to do it in love, mm-hmm. but to be firm mm-hmm. and to be very clear yeah. that we are not letting any of that outside judgment, we're not letting any of this outside point of view come in to our home. You may not like it. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Pray for us. Yeah. But what we're what I'm not going to tolerate is you denigrating, downgrading, and trying to demean my wife in public relative to what she chooses to wear, which is at the end of the day, not even between me and her, it's between her and God. Right. Yes, you you politely read her for filth <laughs> and told her if you have questions, we're open to that. But if you have comments, hey, keep it to yourself that's or right. bring it to your prayer room. There you go. And I was like, oh yes, a read. Okay, take it to the prayer closet. <laughs> yes, prayer closet. <laughs> so, how did you know that your wife was the one for you? Um, that's a good question. I I you know, and this is going to sound crazy, but because I when I was walking through my history, I've worked in the entertainment business now for over twenty years, mm-hmm. and when Megan and I met. I was an executive for Columbia Pictures, Sony Pictures. And, you know, my big rule was I don't date actresses. Mm-hmm. One, it just didn't wasn't good for the profession because I'm an executive and you're hiring the director and you're hiring the actors. And that would just look kind of weird that you're using your job to, to date people. So I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And then also, you know, actors uh, are crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> and Megan, if she was here, she'd say, yeah, I am. Um, and so for me, I was like, all right, here we go. When we met, I didn't. I was. It was just totally business. Uh, you know, had nothing to do with uh, anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And then we did Jumping the Broom. I was the executive on that movie. She was a star in that film. One of the stars in that film. Nine months after at the premiere party, we started talking, and you know, good conversation. I was getting ready to go on my book tour for Produced by Faith, mm-hmm. which was my first book. And I, after the end of the party, I said, "Hey, you know, I'll give you a call when I come off my tour." I was gone for a couple of weeks. I came back. I hit her up. We hung out. It was cool. I thought it was just platonic. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out again to a Prince concert, actually, at the House of Blues, our second date. Mm-hmm. Wow. But I didn't really think of it as a date, even though it kind of felt like it. But I'm like, ah, no, this is this is just, just friendship. Out. Yeah. But it was on the third date when we went to the movies and, and talked afterwards where I just felt it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is happening. Oh, man, this is good. And no, this is not so good because <laughs> I don't date actresses. And, and she's famous. And oh my goodness, my life, what's going to happen? Like, it was just like crazy. But um, I just went with it. I committed to the process. I challenged myself. I faced my fears. And, uh, you know, from that third date on, it was clear that she was the one for me. And, uh, you know, we've been growing ever since. You have such a beautiful relationship. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I know that we're uh, running out of time, but I did want to ask you a question from the audience. Um, So this individual said, should Christians wait for God to bring them their partner or should they be shooting their shots? Uh, Good question. I, I think that, you know, I would refer to the text that says faith without works is dead. Mm. So if you play the opposite of that, that means faith with works is alive. So I would encourage any single Christian that's, that is interested in finding the right person to use whatever means are available to see what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. So it, it part of it is is having faith, but it's also doing some work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just sit in your house uh, every day, all day, and you think God is going to have the person knock on the door— he may, but I don't know it's going to work like that. Um, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, see what he wants to do. That could mean, you know, going on dating sites. Uh, it could mean, you know, being out more social, being findable, so to speak. So I, I think it's really a combination of faith and works. I, I think part of it is he can bring the person to you, but you also have to, we have to do our part. 
if I was at home and I was, you know, not living life uh, to a degree, I would have, Megan and I would have never, you know, come across our, our paths. Mm-hmm. You know, God didn't just have her show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, but what happened was as I was out and as I was doing what he called me to do, he produced a moment where we connected. Mm. So he did bring me to her and her to me, but I had to get up and get dressed yeah, that day. Had I had yeah. to go, I had to do my work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to be clear. God is not a genie. He's not a magician. A magician, a genie, you can get whatever you want and it doesn't matter how you live or what you do. God says, no, I need you to participate. So I would encourage anyone out there looking for love, participate in your love. Don't get discouraged. Be findable. Mm-hmm. Use technology. I mean, you have no idea. I know people right now, friends of mine that are married, beautiful family that met online. So I wouldn't have any stigma about anything. Let's see what God wants to do. Oh, yes. Such sound advice to end on. I, I feel like we can talk for hours, but I know that we have to wrap this up. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, this is this amazing. so good. Thank I got to come back. Thank you so much. Yes, please come back. It was such a pleasure having you on the Bonnets and D-Rags podcast show. I know I love it. I know my Likewise. audience is going to love it. Um, so everyone out there, Devon Franklin's new book, The Truth About Men, will hit shelves on February 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, as well as SoundCloud. Also, follow us on our social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bonnets Do Rags, no and. Until next time, I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.